What It Do DMV, episode 13 of Chirpin' DMV, and the V is for Vrana. Vrana's back. We're going to get to that here in a bit. Uh, I'm here with the boys again. AB, what's happening, baby? Not much, man. Uh, you know, just had ourselves a good weekend yeah, at the we Bay did. House. Yeah, we did. Brando, producer Brando is here with us. How's it going, everybody? How's it going? Kyle is not with us today. He's been a little bit under the weather. We'll get to the weekend stuff in a minute here, but we have a great interview coming up later on with Coach Ben Hammock. Just brought his two Capital District teams back from the Hockey Night in Boston Festival. Nice long interview. You guys are really going to enjoy it, and it ends with a fun little uh, game we play there. So, A.B., let's get back into it. How's your weekend, buddy? Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, it turned into a pretty good weekend for us, didn't it? I mean, we all went to the Bay House. Uh, yeah, good times always out there on Ken Island. Yeah, we invited a bunch of a bunch of the guys, and um, it was bad traffic because middle of July, you know, trying to get over the bridge, everyone going to Ocean City, and uh, everyone kind of bailed because of the traffic, except for me and you. We were like, oh, well, this is gonna be a guess fun day. Guess we're gonna have a day to ourselves, like, and then Took yeah, turned the around boat. a little bit. Yeah, took out yeah. the boat, so kind of a crazy story. We were out on uh, the boat a bit, and what do you know? We got some dolphins up in the bay, so we sat out there kind of uh, kind of around golden hour time, you know? Uh, yeah. A little small group of us. We did have some friends uh, join us up there. Uh, definitely turned into, a <laughs> like we said, an interesting and fun weekend. Um, Brando, what about you? How was your weekend, bud? Uh, again, just had crabs two, two nights. Um, drank a couple of nights. And I definitely bailed on the beach house with you guys. That's that's on me. That's on you. Yeah, yeah but you you gave me a heads up. Uh, everyone else was like on the way there and said, "Oh yeah, we don't want to send this well, traffic." Well, they get to the bridge and they're like, "We're gonna go to Annapolis and kill some time." So that's not gonna happen because, like AB said, it's the middle of July. It takes forever to go over the bridge. So we offered to come across the bay and get them via boat bring them over to the Bay House, but they still turn it down, and, you know, they lost out because, per usual, we have ourselves some time, play a little yard games, and then hit the jetty, which is <laughs> always bananas out I, there. I live that through your Snapchats. Uh, yeah, we always oh live. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, the jetty is out there. So, like we mentioned, boys, Vrana is back. We thought it would take a while. It has taken a little bit, but he's back two years, $6.7 and he comes out of this as still a restricted free agent. I think it's a great signing. Uh, based on what we were looking at salary cap-wise. Uh, good for him. He will get that payday uh, in two years, I believe. So, A.B., initial thoughts on the snake coming back? Uh, I agree. I think it's I think it's a great signing on both parties, uh, especially for the Caps, uh, to get him only at 3.35, I believe it is, or something like that per year. Mm -hmm. uh, the guy scored 24 goals last year, right? I mean, he's basically a 25-goal scorer at a 3.5 mil a year or less than 3.5 mil. So, uh, and if he keeps his production up, obviously he's going to get paid in two years. So, great, he, great deal on both sides. And I think. he just—I feel like every season he's just taking, you know, monumental strides uh, really in terms is. of his I development. Mean, he's probably one of our fastest players that can actually score, and uh, he's basically turned into what we thought Burakovsky was going to be. Yeah, just a younger, and like you said, I mean, I would even go as far as saying one of the fastest players in the league. And we can't even forget about if we were to win another championship with him on the roster, the drunken Snapchat stories and Instagram stories we would get out of him. Uh, Roy's oh, good. Yeah. Producer Brando, we're going to get you a little involved this episode. What are your thoughts on Verona? My thoughts? I, I, I texted you guys this, and I saw it, and I was, at first I read it wrong. I thought we got him for uh, six point whatever. For a year piece, yeah, that's six point seven. Yeah, I not was like, even uh -oh, close. This is not good. Can't afford that. But I definitely thought that the Caps were probably gonna overpay him. But I'm glad we got him at the price we did, and hopefully that you know leaves room for other people. 
Yeah, I think it's uh, perfect. Uh, what and we he's did. living it up right now, too, oh, man. Yeah, on vacation, uh, just <laughs> all over the place, just having a good time, enjoying the summer, uh, like a lot of them are. Um, so, AB, I know you had a couple topics you wanted to bring up. Uh, what do we got going around the league or locally? So, um, I guess you probably, you guys probably already saw this. Burkowski signed for one year with Colorado, mm-hmm. three point yep. two five million. Uh, kind of a trial year, I would say. I mean, they yeah. kind of know what they're getting. They kind of know the potential, but, you know, don't want to take that big of a risk. Right, exactly. So uh, we'll see how he does this year. If he, if he scores 25, 30 goals like me and you think he can, I mean, who knows? Next year he'll probably get around 5 mil, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. that's what I'm thinking. Definitely a big uh, experimental season for him. Yeah, we got uh, Jordan Bennington. He signed for two years at uh, 4 mil apiece. Um, that's a good, that's a pretty good signing for the Blues, I think, and uh, for Bennington as well, because he only had half a season, so it's a small sample size, so they didn't want to give him a, a fat contract after winning a Stanley Cup. But uh, who knows if he carries, if he if he keeps going, how he's going? I mean, in two years, he's going to get paid like eight million a year or something like that, something ridiculous. Yeah, you never, you you kind of never know. I mean, with that type of situation, whereas this, where we are as Caps with Brayton Holpe, he's for years been a outstanding goalie top five in the league and then finally gets that cup whereas Bennington comes in as a rookie half a season like you mentioned wins a cup is that I mean he's obviously a very good a very skillful goalie but you know was that just that he had that magical year and you never know with goalies where it could like you could tail off next year or even two years down the road so I think that's smart on them to keep kind of keep it a little low but you obviously want to stick with the, the rookie the kid that came in and won you a cup Right, exactly. And Benning- and obviously, Bennington, he doesn't have that much leverage to be like, yo, I need to get paid more. And so I think he was smart just taking whatever he got. And, I mean, obviously, they love him there. I mean, yeah, they, have, sure. they, they supported him all the way through the, the entire season. Yeah, for sure. You got to love it. So what else you got on the docket for us here, AB? Like we said, it's the dog days of summer. The news is slow, but uh, you've been digging so a bit. We got um, – well, obviously, Brando uh, texted this in the uh, group the other day. We got T.J. Oshie still partying like he won mm-hmm. Stanley Cup this year. Out at that ACC golf tournament uh, out in Lake Tahoe where he was in a pairing yeah. with um, Tyler Segan and Joe Pavelski, the two stars. Uh, and those guys, I'm sure, had a great time. But, yeah, he comes over, uh, signs an autograph for a fan, and then a fan just hands him a beer bong. And what does he do? Crushes it. Well, he did. He shotgunned a beer, too. The, the beer bong was like yesterday, but – I saw that on Twitter yesterday, and then I saw the shotgun like the day before. This guy's just partying. Yeah, it up. <laughs> I, mean, I mean the kids just the kids just fucking living life, and I love it, man. I mean he's just, he's golfing out there, so uh, obviously he's healthy. Um, uh, he's shooting some hoops out there. I mean he's just fucking living life right now, and I love it. Yeah, you you speak of that him being healthy. I mean he came out he came I believe he got interviewed out there, and he said he's feeling pretty much 100 percent and ready to go. Start training for the off season and ready to get back on the ice next year with the Caps and make that cup run yet again. So um, what else we got? Uh, we got William Nylander changing mm-hmm. his number and offering to pay all their fans to uh, change the jersey numbers for them. He'll, he'll, he'll pay for all of that. He's changing it to number 88. And uh, Toronto fans don't like it, which uh, I think they're is hilarious. Ca- yeah, they're causing a stir because uh, Lindros played all of what? Uh, 33 games. 30 games for him. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> with that number. So nothing you would even remember him doing. But, yeah, they're causing a stir. But, I mean, hell of a job on him. Just, yeah, I'll pay. If you have a jersey, you need to turn it turn it in. I'll pay for it. And then I even saw on Twitter a guy with, like, custom Maple Leaf shoes with Nylander's number on them. I was like, well, yeah. what do I do now? And he's like, I got you. Send me the info. Yeah, so I, I don't know about you, but, I mean, 
you see a, a player like change his number, like kind of like not midway through his career. Obviously, he's only a couple of years, three or four right. years in. But like, who knows? Maybe this like revitalizes him, gives gives him a jump in his uh in his career, and who knows? He comes out next year and has big a big year for himself. And uh, Toronto fans are going to start loving him again, and then let's hope. Th- I because mean, they're, he has they're not going to be able to keep all four of them. Yeah, he's all got a bit of a rocky relationship with the Maple Leafs as it is with the holdout and everything, and maybe the fans now changing numbers. Hopefully, he does for his sake. You know, has a big, huge breakout season. Right. If they sign Mitch Marner this year, I mean, they have Mitch Marner, they got Nylander, they got Tavares. I mean, who are they going to keep? They got Morgan Riley. They're going to have to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to keep so, Tyson I mean, Berry on that blue line. Right, exactly. So who knows who they're going to keep? I mean, they're going to have to trade someone eventually. They're going to run into cap issues. They kind of already are in cap issues with Mitch Marner, um, which kind of brings us to the next thing that I have on here. Uh, notable RFAs that still have not signed yet. Okay. We got Mitch Marner for Toronto, Braden Point for Tampa, Miko Rantanen for Colorado, Mac Chuck for Calgary, Kyle Connor for Winnipeg. Brock Besser for Vancouver, Patrick Laine for Winnipeg, and Jacob Truba for the Rangers, all still restricted and still have not signed. So it's going to be interesting to see how much they get paid, where they end up, who gives them an offer sheet or any anything like that. What are your thoughts on so that, So So that's, that's kind of the interesting thing that I want to ask you about. So let's kind of sit here for a minute and play GM. So say you're GM of a not good team. Uh, you've been trying to rebuild for a couple of years. Let's say you're the GM of Ottawa. <laughs> And per se, right. you have a, a ton of cap space. Yeah, say so you have a good bit team. of cap space. Do you, or do you, and you don't see offer sheets often because they mention a lot of times it'll burn bridges between GMs and teams and prevent future deals from being made. Do you say just say, hey, Mitch Martin, here's an offer sheet. Why don't you come on over? I mean, it might be an overpay. It might be a ton of money, but maybe offer sheet a guy or two and just have a good season and see what happens. Or do you play that I, uh, safe game where you don't want to burn the bridges for the future? and whatnot i 100 percent think you should throw an offer sheet out there i mean they're all like what 20 21 years old 22 Mm -hmm. years old at the tops and i don't know i mean i just i think the way i think experience trumps anything and if you see someone have that experience in the nhl have that like success in the nhl it's not like it's that big of a risk whereas a draft pick i mean you never know what what's going to happen with a draft pick like nail yakupov first rounder in 2012 where the hell is he? You know what I mean? Like, it's they're not always going to be like the, that superstar well, that you think the they're going to be. the majority of those Edmonton earlier first round or first overall picks, <laughs> I should say, that they had in that four year span outside of Taylor Hall, you know? Right. So, I don't know. But I, if I'm Ottawa, I'm throwing out offer sheets left and right. I mean, you saw the Canadians do it with Sebastian Ajo. Yeah, I mean, hell, even Canadians, if, why don't they toss an offer sheet over to uh, Marner? Exactly. I mean, that, that like, the Canadians, obviously, the Coyotes could do it. I don't know how much cap space they have. I, I think they have a decent amount. But, I mean, if I'm any of these teams, I'm all of those guys that I just said are pretty big names, and they could definitely change your franchise and turn your franchise around for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so, with that being said, you got anything else for us, or should we toss it over to the, the interview? I got one more. All right. Um, so, Dan Rosen wrote an article on NHL today okay. on NHL.com. He works for them. Uh, and he was just answering fan questions. And this guy asks, what division do you see being the toughest one in 2019, 2020, and why? Well, let's, I guess let's make our picks real quick before you read his. I'm going to say the Metropolitan. 
Second. And that is exactly what he said, and that's what I was going to say, too. Yeah. I mean, how can you not with how much these teams have rebuilt uh, this so, offseason so far? So just to get us a little hype for the season, for the upcoming season, I'll read just the first paragraph right here. The, Metro, the Metropolitan Division is loaded. There's an argument for why each of these eight teams can make the Stanley Cup playoffs. There's also an argument for why the only lock is the Washington Capitals, hey the now, one team in the division that I believe does not have a flaw. So he is hyped on the Washington Caps because they, I guess, I mean, I thought our defense dropped off a little bit losing Niskin in this year. But, I mean, we got Rocco out of it as well. Yeah. But, I mean, other than that. Well, I still see Nick Jensen as a pretty much a replacement Niskin in younger, uh, faster, maybe not as sound defensively uh, in our own D zone. But, I mean, yeah, we're an established team. Uh, we've always been in the conversation of one of the top teams in the NHL. We're coming off that cup win two years ago, made some critical offseason moves. We didn't really lose much. We just kind of rebuilt what we needed to. And then you look outside, I think, like we mentioned in the previous episodes, uh, the Penguins are kind of really the only team that I felt like almost got worse, but you still can't say that because of, you know, Matt Murray, Sidney Crosby, uh, Alex Galchenyuk now. Um, they Malkin, lost to Kessel, yep. obviously. You got Malkin. Uh, but then New Jersey rebuilds. But they're not tested they haven't you know shown anything much outside of the, their playoff appearance a year or two ago or whatever it was um the rangers obviously re rebuilt immediately but obviously still the same issue as new jersey you have a top two draft pick coming in you don't know what's how it's going to play out um how everything's going to fit but yeah i d would definitely agree that the metropolitan is the division and i think the caps right. will be winning that what is it fifth straight sixth straight metropolitan division title Something like that. I mean, we're just on a regular season roll with uh, a, a little Stanley Cup in there somewhere. I, I forget yes. one. 2018? I don't know. Uh, 2018. So, yeah, I mean, even, you even got three of your last four Stanley Cup champions coming out of our division uh, right. with us in Pittsburgh. So, yeah. yeah. But um, even on top of that, like, if you think about it, we have – we're the only team that's deep down the middle. Like, the only team that has all three of these. We're deep down the middle Center all the way. Center death three is lines. huge. Yes. Yep. Uh, we get – the, uh, we have a top three goaltender in the league for the past, what, five years probably, mm -hmm. Braden Holpe. And uh, we have a solid core of defensemen, I think. A Norris uh, snub defenseman year after year. Right. The greatest and goal scorer of our generation. You look at the rest of the teams in our division, and not every single team has all three of those. So except for you could argue the Flyers maybe this year. I mean, I still don't think they're as deep at center. But – like I said, not not every single team has that, and we're lucky enough to be able to still have that and uh, kind of mix and match with our wingers uh, with those uh, three deep uh, centermen that we have. So uh, I, I kind of agree. I think Washington is kind of the only lock right now. I mean, obviously, you can never count out Pittsburgh either. I, I think they're as close to a lock as possible, but I don't know. That's my opinion. I just I just thought that article was uh, – was pretty awesome that he hyped up the caps yeah, like that. Yeah, you got to so. say the only lock is the caps with how much uh, reconstruction went on in that metro and the beef building, yeah. per se. So, I mean, with that all being said, let's kick it over to this interview. We, Like I said, we have a long, fun interview with Coach Ben Hammock, who is off of that hockey night in Boston Capital District uh, teams that he took up there. So let's kick it over there right now. All right, so we now welcome on the coach and director of the Hockey Night in Boston Capital District teams, uh, longtime hockey coach himself, Mr. Ben Hammock. Ben, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. How's everything? All is good. All is good. So I guess let's start right there with the uh, Hockey Night in Boston Festival. Um, you guys sent up two teams, the two Capital District teams, the junior high and the sophomore team. So I guess let's first start. I mean, tell us how both teams did. Uh, how did the weekend go? 
Uh, so the junior high team actually finished uh, three one and one, and the sophomores were, I believe, one three and one. But uh, two of those three losses were one goal uh, games. So it's overall, I mean, it, it's not so much about the winning and losing as it is about the kids being able to showcase themselves to the, you know, to the prep school and to the junior scouts that are up in that area. So, you know, in that respect, it was a, uh, you know, it was a great success, um, you know, on the ice, and we got ton of ton of attention for our kids we had the ability while we were up there to tour a couple schools uh and actually have some some coaches that we couldn't get to their schools come down and meet us and, and talk to the players after games so like i said that's our number one goal in all of this is to expose our players to you know a different path a different route in hockey and, and in that respect it was a, it was a great success last week excellent so now correct me if i'm wrong but is this the uh, the first time you guys have taken the uh, capital district teams up there to that festival so we actually, back in the early 2000s, um, and that's kind of, the, I'm sure at some point you're going to want to get into that anyways, but that's kind of the story of how this evolved. Um, in the early 2000s, I was actually coaching high school uh, for Eastern High School here in, on the Eastern Shore of Maryland, and uh, I got an email one day from one of the directors, from the old directors of Hockey Night Boston, and was looking for player recommendations. So in like 2002, 2003, 2004, they actually took major teams, which is the 10th, 11th, and 12th grade students. And Craig Lachlan uh, with the Caps ran those programs all back in the day. And then in 2005, we actually started the uh, the junior high program was, I think, it's in its second year uh, with Hockey Night in Boston back then in 2005. So we took teams in 05, 06, and 07 uh, to the junior high division for Hockey Night in Boston. Um, and then through a whole bunch of things that happened in the D.C. hockey culture, so to speak, um, after 2007, Hockey Night in Boston kind of disappeared, for, or at least for the availability of our players to be able to go up there as a D.C. collective team, uh, kind of fell off after 2007. So this is our first time back now in 12 years. Gotcha. Very cool. So that kind of explains the tweet of being 12 years in the making. So let's just kind of go through how all of this, I guess, comes to be. I mean, there's that Capital District Festival that's up in Reisterstown, presumably, which is the uh, the tryout weekend. Um, so I guess how did this year's go? I mean, was there a big turnout? Uh, obviously, maybe some tough decisions to be made uh, on final rosters. Yeah, of course. I mean, with, with any tryout, you're always going to have, uh, you know, tough decisions, bubble kids that you, you'll argue back and forth between, you know, this year we had eight evaluators uh, that were out there that first weekend of May in Reisterstown. Um, so it's kind of a, a dual uh, track program so to speak of how we're doing things so we, we actually have three teams uh, the junior high and sophomore that went up last week uh, and then our major team that's going next week um, just because of the, the nature of hockey in the DC area with the, the major age kids uh, you know juniors and seniors in high school especially um, you know the, the numbers of the elite level quote unquote players tends to dwindle off as they get older obviously so right. it, it was a lot um, harder for us to be able to do a pure tryout so we did more of a kind of informal like mini camp or whatever you want to call it skills practice uh, and got the kids on the ice and then had them scrimmage uh, for, as far as the majors go uh, on the flip side then on the on the junior high and sophomore we actually had just shy of 80 kids uh, between the two age levels uh, that came out to that tryout weekend back in May uh, and then from there we picked uh, 20 players at each age level so about about half of the kids um, this year were able to to go on and experience the hockey night in Boston, uh, you know, and what that's all about. We also had a couple of our alternates from the junior high and sophomore teams that actually got picked up by other teams uh, that were playing. They they kind of, you know, they try to allow players from areas that don't, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that don't have a tryout 
um, they try to allow the, those guys to sign up independently as well, and they kind of make a, what they call an at-large team from the kids that just sign up randomly on their own. So we were lucky enough to have a, a couple of our alternates that actually got placed on those at-large teams as well. So we were in somewhere in the neighborhood of 42, 44 players from the D.C. area that actually played last week. Awesome. Very cool. So now after those teams are announced, um, how much work, I guess, time and practices go into uh, the preparation for the uh, the festival? Because I, I, know, I know there's not too big of a gap. You don't have like three months, four months, five months to prepare. So how much how much are you guys doing in preparation as in getting the team, the final rosters together, getting that ice time, you know, maybe getting some uh, off ice in? Yeah, so um, at the end of that weekend uh, in May, uh, I got home late Sunday night after doing the uh, the, the major evaluations as well. Um, we pretty much had the rosters announced by that Tuesday afternoon, so like within 48 hours. Um, and then from there, basically the planning begins of, number one is getting everybody to go through the registration process on the Hockey Night in Boston website, um, starting to get some information out as far as, you know, kind of rules and expectations for the team uh, when the kids go up there. Uh, more so the work is on the, I guess, on the administrative side of, like I said, getting, you know, getting the rosters assembled, getting the registration taken care of online, getting all the promotional materials out, uh, with the guys in Boston, and they do a great job of that with uh, making sure that there's rosters available before each game so the parents and scouts that come you know, know exactly where every single kid is from, what club they played for last year, all that sort of stuff. And then from there, we actually had um, minicamp weekends right towards the end of the month of June because uh, in that time period with, with our tryouts for Hockey Night Boston, you still have also the kids that are doing their club tryouts in the D.C. area. You have the, the PIVAHA and the USA Hockey Player Development tryouts going on so there's a lot of stuff happening in that like four to six week window um so we tried to sneak in a, a weekend uh with each of the teams up at reistertown right towards the end of june um and actually with the junior high kids they were only on the, on the ice friday and saturday they didn't go the whole weekend uh we were lucky enough to have some of our hockey night in boston alumni from the dc area come back and run skills practices um david bondra uh who actually was an alternate for our 2007 uh championship high school t or junior high school team uh mike chen and then michael harris who both played on the 2006 junior high school team um actually came back both of those weekends and helped us uh you know run the skill sessions before we kind of got into the team systems and all that um but like i said a lot of it was more so behind the scenes a, a lot of it <laughs> with email right. text messages a, a lot of administrative stuff and then uh a little bit on my part like i wanted to make sure the guys went up there and represented the dc area well and looked like a team so we went out and ordered uh polo shirts for everybody with the hockey night in boston and, and capital district uh logo on there yeah, and so all we those, also the clean looking the clean looking blue polos all over Instagram and everything had both teams together up there a good bit. Yeah, and I mean we we got so much feedback from you know, during during like the school fair that they had on Wednesday of last week. <clears throat> excuse me, where all the the prep school coaches and a couple college coaches were out setting up information tables and, and trying to get the word about what their programs are all about. The number one like piece of feedback we got was number one we were excited to see the DC kids that we haven't seen in 12 years. Um, and, and you know with a lot of those prep schools they don't have the budget to be able to travel and, and recruit you know like an NCAA D1 college does. So it's nice for us to be able to bring those 
those kids up. And then they know right away when those kids walk in the room, they know exactly who they are because they have those team polos on. And that's what all the coaches were like, oh, we're so excited to see the D.C. kids. And then as soon as we saw the blue polos, we knew exactly who they were so we could approach them. Um, so we got a ton of feedback about that. And, and actually the, the joke kind of going around with the administrators for Hockey Night in Boston is a lot of the things that we implemented this year for our teams, they're, they're going to actually put in place for rules next year. So like, yeah, you came back this year. You're kind of the celebrity, the, the, the new guy in town. Next year, all the other coaches are going to hate you because you're going to put in all these rules that all, all of them are going to have to follow because you guys did such a great job this year. Right, and yeah, even with those blue polos too, a uh, cool little aspect that we saw was, I mean, the kids got to get interviewed, which, I mean, doesn't happen uh, in cl like your local youth club hockey or anything. So that was kind of, I guess, a cool experience for them. And plus, like you said, those clean blue polos. So I guess last question here um, regarding the Hockey Night in Boston Festival until we get in kind of to your personal coaching career and whatnot. So now that you got this started, you got it off the ground uh, for the first time in 12 years, uh, what do you see for the future of it, the ease of getting these teams back together, making it a yearly occurrence, and just keep getting stronger and stronger and going back up uh, to that festival? Yeah, so the, the big thing for us is, like I said, now <clears> – excuse me, allergies are kicking my butt today. Um, the big thing for us now moving forward is that we have the major group coming up uh, next week, the 23rd through the 27th or 28th. Um, it's getting through that, number one. Uh, that's kind of our, our – big group in the sense of we've already heard from uh, some, some even NCAA D1 coaches. There's a couple guys that are working for NHL Central Scouting that are going to be there. Maybe not necessarily that they're looking at our kids, but that's the type of the magnitude of the, the type of program that Hockey Night in Boston is. So it's you know, having success on the ice, showcasing our kids uh, next week, especially with the major group, because those are the older guys that are, you know, kind of looking for towards college in the next, you know, one or two years. Uh, and then beyond that, absolutely, we want to be able to continue to grow to the point where, you know, we have we 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 can fill our tryouts out of the DC area the way they do in Connecticut and Boston and everything when, when Hockey Night in Boston does their regional tryouts in those areas. They're, you're talking four, five, six teams uh, filled to the brim, so you're talking 80 to 120 kids uh, that are trying out. My my honest feeling is, and I told the, the Hockey Night in Boston guys this when we were going through the negotiations of being able to get back in the D.C. area, is that I, I would like to see eventually, maybe if it's you know two, three years down the road or whatever, that we could have separate Maryland-Virginia teams. Yeah, because I honestly sure. believe, especially Especially at the younger, at the seventh, eighth grade level, the you know twelve, thirteen year old level, we're very, very deep in this area. Uh, so to be able to have you know separate uh, you know north, south, or whatever you call it, or, or Maryland, Virginia, uh, to be able to have two teams going up there, number one, it doubles the amount of exposure that our kids get. But I, you know, like I said, I, I think it's it's the right way to go with with the quality of talent that we have in this area uh, between you know the, the our two AAA programs with Team Maryland Little Caps, uh, you know, very good AA programs between. Howard, Montgomery, Ashburn, Reston, whoever, um, you know, we have the talent in the area to be able to show off that number of kids. So to be able to take 40 kids at an age group is ultimately the goal. Uh, beyond that, we're also looking at, we kind of had unofficial talks last week when I was up there in Boston about looking at including, you know, some kids from the Carolinas, from West Virginia, um, kind of starting to expand our reach a little bit. Teams that don't have the statewide depth um, that can, you know, they have their certain programs, but there's not that kind of amount of teams that we have in this area like you were just previously mentioning exactly yeah i mean it's it's it, you know outside the realm so to speak of the 
of DMV, which is our primary focus. But in the same respect, we have a lot of kids that, number one, live in the DMV area that go down and play junior hockey in the Carolinas, or vice versa. We have a lot of kids in the Carolinas that come up to play for uh, for Hampton Roads um, mm-hmm. or for Little Caps or whatever. So it's you know there is some. Uh, you know, some synergy there between the D.C. area and especially the Carolinas. Uh, we have kids from West Virginia that play for the Hagerstown Youth Hockey Club. Um, so, you know, there's still, even though it's a little bit further afield as far as, you know, our, our zone, so to speak, those are still areas that we have, you know, we, we have kids coming from. And, you know, if we put together a team that's, you know, whatever you want to call it, mid-America or whatever, uh, from, you know, West Virginia, Kentucky. Yeah, and just kind and of like a North mid-Atlantic Carolina. region, you know, all-star teams exactly. that we're sitting yeah, up there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, a very yeah, so attainable I mean, goal. That's kind of our goal, yeah. Um, so I guess Sorry. let's now we'll focus kind of our attention to you and your coaching career where you have been coaching for a long time, uh, it seems. Uh, programs like you mentioned, Easton High School. Uh, I believe you did a little stand with the Little Flyers, the Junior Nats. Kind of take us through your career and kind of each program that you were a part of and uh, coach that. Sure. So going, I mean, going way, way back to when I was, you know, 18, 19 years old, and actually I was still playing uh, midget hockey for uh, for for the Eastern Ice Hawks over here on the Eastern Shore of Maryland, mm-hmm. and um, I got into actually I was I was one of those kids that was like I, I was never like you know having my schedule full was never enough i always wanted to be, you know be able to go 25 hours a day um so i actually got into coaching at the lower rec level at 18 years old while i was still playing in easton so i was you know coaching might squirt uh first year age kids in the rec program at easton and, and that's kind of how i got my start from there uh moved on to the, the easton ice hawks travel programs um gradually we started uh we got into when we started the easton high school program uh which became the first public high school in the state yeah, of maryland so i, I kind of kind of want to ask you a little bit about that easton high school program now i believe you sure. mentioned the years you were there were 08 i mean 08 until what, what was the last year you were there um or i guess how many years did you coach at that program so I was with Easton High School for five years. Um, man, to give you the exact dates, I don't remember. I barely remember <laughs> well, my yeah, own name. Myself, days, myself <laughs> and uh, the other two co-hosts, we played at Huntingtown um, from 08 through you know 2012. And I remember in 08 was the first year that we started a team, played you guys down in Waldorf uh, in the playoffs. And seemingly with Huntingtown, I felt like we would never play you guys unless it was the playoffs. But for some reason, that was every year you know, our biggest rivalries because back when the MSHL state playoff structure was you had to come through your region. So it was always the winner of the Southern Conference takes on the winner of the Eastern Conference, which was always us and always you guys. So I remember that first year um, we played you guys. It was, yeah, down in Waldorf, down at our home rink. You beat us. And then the next year after that was when you guys had players like Justin Craig um, and we played down in Annapolis. And you guys got us again. And then my senior year in 2010, we go at it for a third time. And then that one was in Laurel. Uh, to go to the state semis, and that's the one we finally got you guys back down for nothing in the first. Came back and won that game six four. So that's why I was curious if you're a part of that program during those uh, couple years. So yeah, so based on your description, it sounds like uh, the the game down in Waldorf might have been my last year at Easton. Okay, gotcha. And then uh, the guy Matt Spiker, who actually I grew up with, was friends. We we yes, played that name sounds familiar uh, for okay. Easton High School. Yeah, so he uh, he actually took over the program when I left Easton High School. Um, so it sounds like we were kind of we overlapped a little bit in your, your time when you were playing and when I was coaching. But um, yeah, that that program, um, you know, we we became the first public high school in the state of Maryland to actually sanction ice hockey as a varsity sport, uh, which was a a big deal at the time. And I mean, still is a very big deal because i mean so many of these uh teams are just club 
that don't get recognition from the school or anything like that, and it's and it makes it tough on them. Sure, and, and it's uh, you know it, I could say I've, I've followed it quite loosely, but um, I, I do know that there's some other schools in the state of Maryland that may, they may not be considered a varsity sport at their school, but at least they're you know the, the principals show up to the games, and, and right. I know um, they're getting the yearbook uh, or Churchill's something. Winston Churchill's one of them. Yeah, and they they give them the recognition of a varsity sport, but for whatever reason, for you know the county rules or funding or whatever it is, they they can't name them officially a varsity sport. But hockey has grown, thankfully. Uh, at the high school level in the D.C. area to the point where a lot more schools are recognizing it as opposed to there there are still some to this day that they're not even allowed to use their official school logo. Like they have to be completely unaffiliated whatsoever. So it's we're we're still kind of in that gray zone, but I think it's getting better year by year. We're we're getting more recognition year by year. And that's, I guess, ultimately the goal for any of us is to, you know, is to grow hockey as big as we can in the D.C. area. So exactly. So after Easton, is that when you started, I guess, your uh, junior hockey uh, coaching career? Well, so I actually went from uh, I was still while I was still coaching with Easton High School. I actually moved from the Easton Youth Program over to the Tri City Eagles. I was there for two or three years before I went to Little Caps. Uh, I was with Little Caps for four years, uh, various levels between actually with the '92 birth year with the the guys like David Bondra and, and and some of those guys that have, many of which have gone on to play college hockey, and some even playing pro now. Um, and then I did a U16 team with the '90 birth years uh, with. Um, with Little Caps, and then once the that whole separation happened with Little Caps and Team Maryland, uh, right about the time that Kettler was first opening the, the Caps practice facility, um, and, and Team Maryland and Little Caps split, I had an opportunity to actually move on to Salisbury University uh, with their ACHA D3 program and kind of do the same thing I did with Easton High School, where you kind of took a kind of fledgling club program and built it to the point where we were getting basically, you know, varsity recognition from the school um our budget was just as big or actually my final year at salisbury uh they told me our our ice hockey budget was the second or third largest in the entire school from all varsity sports so to to, you know that was a unique opportunity to go down there and and grow hockey in salisbury and then once i left salisbury after six years then i actually went to the washington junior nationals and um that's where kind of things like between salisbury university and washington junior nationals where things kind of took off for me in my career where things really kind of got more serious so to speak gotcha so kind of want to ask you can you kind of recall your most challenging season as a coach that might have came you know when you first started you're learning the ropes or even close to today later down the road and so kind of tell us about your most challenging season as a coach if you can remember that and kind of the factors that played into that and uh, how you grew as a coach out of that and uh, from that tough experience sure there's there's uh, a couple that I could probably point to that were, I mean, my real or my first quote unquote real head coaching job uh, would have been when we started the, the program at Easton High School. Um, luckily, we had a ton of talent there. So it wasn't like a, you know, there wasn't a ton of adversity on the ice. It was just more, more about me kind of learning the ropes and managing players and managing personalities. Uh, because like I said, we did have a lot of talent on that team. But with that talent came, you know, a, a lot of ego and everything else too everybody thought they were the first line guys right. or whatever and um so that that's you know for me at that point i was in my early 20s so it was like 
kind of cutting my teeth on, you know, dealing with 16, 17-year-old kids that really aren't that much younger than exactly, me or weren't yeah. at that point, uh, and, and being able to tell them, you know, to keep them in line and discipline them, and if you need to, sit down and shut up or give them a hug or whatever it is, you know, it's it, that was that was difficult for me, and, and I learned a lot through that the five years that I was with Easton, and, and like I said, I was very fortunate with some of the players that I had were, you know, were very supportive of me as a head coach and being a younger guy um, to, like, my first year with the Washington Junior Nationals as I was bouncing back and forth between, because they had two junior teams there, between the A team and the B team as the assistant coach of both teams. Uh, a lot, of, Fortunately, a lot of the weekends that we were on the road, both teams were in the same location, so that made it a little bit easier, but it's exhausting with, you know, basically playing 20-minute periods with ice cuts, just like an NHL game or whatever. You know, you're, you're at the rink three hours to, you know, four hours per game and then on top of it you're doing back-to-back games for two different level junior programs that's a long day yeah uh and then doing then doing the you know team meetings and video and and team meals and i mean you're basically you know with those kids 24 7 as almost like their parent um and then the the most difficult part of that is that we had a very young team on the B team. So we weren't very successful on the ice as far as wins and losses. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was probably maybe a total of five or six wins in a, you know, 55 game season. So it was extremely difficult on that part. Um, and so that to me was that that was a large, you know, growth opportunity for me as well as a coach, because you still, you have to learn to do the job day in and day out, uh, regardless of what the outcome is on the ice, you still prepare for the next game game as if that's the game that's going to you know qualify you for the playoffs or you know whatever it is um so you know with any other team maybe that close in the past with a youth team you get to the point you know the midway point of the season and you're not winning the type of you know a ton of games the parents kind of have given up the kids have kind of given up it's mm-hmm. you kind of ride you ride the wave you ride out to the end of the season and everybody goes their separate ways but with junior hockey where you're you know you're on the ice for practice four or five days a week you know you're with the players you know six or seven days a week you have to approach that on a daily basis as if the very next game or the very next practice is the most important one of the season regardless of what you're record is regardless regardless of where you are in the standings and and i tell kids that to this day kids that are you know come and ask me for advice of you know they're in high school they're not sure should they stay for another year say u18 triple a or if they should start looking at a junior program and my, my response to them is i think i've grown more as a coach in the two years that i was with the junior nationals program because of that, you know, the day in, day out grind, you're, you know, you're working six or seven days a week. And that's where I think I developed more of a kind of professional mentality of approaching the game. It's still a ton of fun for me. I still love it being around the players, but uh, you, you kind of start to organize your brain, so to speak, of this is what I have to do today you know, as far as team meetings or on ice practice or whatever it is. And then uh, automatically, as soon as you get off the ice that evening or that afternoon for practice, your brain kicks into, okay, what is, what's on the agenda for tomorrow? Uh, and those highs and lows kind of balance out a little bit more because you don't have time to worry about it. <laughs> you, ha- right. you have another practice tomorrow afternoon that you have to be prepared for. And you have 25 players that are on that roster that are battling to get into the 20, you know, roster spots for a game. So you're still evaluating players every single day. You're still doing video whatever you know off-ice workouts every single day you don't have time to really mull over a loss or, or get upset about certain things it's you, you have to move on and go on to the next thing so that's that my that's my biggest piece of advice i give the kids all the time if you're want to move into eventually into college hockey especially or professional hockey 
why not get yourself into that, uh, you know, kind of mentality and that schedule and that routine as early as possible. And junior hockey is a great way to get into that. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely agree with that. I mean, at 26 myself, just finishing my second uh, season as a head coach at one of the local prep schools in Riken. I remember two years ago, just well, just a difference from my first year to my second year. That first year, I mean, you take every loss like it's the end of the season. You just kind of <laughs> dwell on it a little bit, where and then you teach yourself like, oh, all you got to do is kind of regroup, figure out what went wrong, and fix it for the next game and move on from there. But yeah, I remember that being kind of a big difficulty uh, for me at start. So kind of through your career, is there anybody that kind of sticks out or any mentors uh, that still you know, you can look back on or things that they said or kind of taught you in becoming a coach that still stick with you today uh, throughout your career? Oh, absolutely. There's there's a ton of guys that I can point to that um, I really, you know, that, that really either took me under their wing and, and kind of showed me the way or guys that just, you know, bent over backwards to support me and help me out. I mean, I, I mentioned already Matt Spiker, who was my assistant when we started the, the Easton High School program. Um, and, and it was kind of, it was a, it was a, you know, it was a relationship between he and I where we grew up together. We've been friends for, you know, since we were 11, 12 years old. And so there was that in, instant comfort with each other. But in the same respect, it was like I was kind of – he had never coached before, so when he came in with me on Eastern High School, it was like I was the, the mentor and, and teaching him the ropes of coaching. But in the same respect, it was we were both still young guys and not too far off from the age of the players. And so I wasn't you know sure every single day that I was making the right decision. And that uh, you know that support from him and that either you know kick to the butt every once in a while and go, hey, that's not the right way to handle this, or a pat on the back and go, dude, that was awesome. Like – you know, you really took care of that situation and, and the kid came out feeling better for it or whatever. It was it was a very cool relationship. And then to see him move on and the success he had once I walked away from Easton High School and they actually went further in the state playoffs without me than they did with me. So that means I, I guess I did something right with him. Um, and there are two, two guys with little caps that I um, coached with. And then obviously the year that I coached David Bondra with the um, – with the 92 with the peewee year mm-hmm. um having david bon- i mean sorry peter bonder there was incredible i mean it, it just to be number one about around a legend of the game and the but, knowledge. Um, just exactly the knowledge i mean he's such a professional and uh just how he approaches everything and there was plenty of times where he got on the ice and worked with the kids on different aspects of the game uh, whether it's skills or power play or whatever it was and and number one that the fact that there was zero ego to anything that he did uh and and you could probably say he was 100 percent justified in being the most egotistical person you would ever meet because of who he was in the, in the game and everything there was zero eager ego to him whatsoever and he just put 100 percent absolute faith in everything that i did or or the other guy that I was coaching with he put 100 percent faith into us that we were doing the right thing for his kid and for all the kids at, at that time so that support especially if at any point he had to speak up and tell another parent no you know ben's doing the right thing back off which is huge for you yeah yeah exactly and again being out i wasn't that much uh you know pretty much the same time period that i was at uh eastern high school so still you know a mid-20s kind of guy and you know like i said you have this nhl legend that has got your back that's instant credibility anywhere you go um and then like i said the two guys that i coached with in the years i was with uh, little caps um walker cody and and uh rick hildreth um 
in very, very different ways were huge mentors to me in the game. And I take lessons that I learned from them uh, through those you know, four or five years that I was with them. Uh, and I still apply it to things I do to this day, whether it's how I approach the game, how I you know deal with the kids in the locker room or, or motivational type stuff, whatever it is. Um, I took so many lessons from both of those guys. Uh, and then, I mean, I don't want to drag this on forever with you, but then <laughs> the other thing I would say uh, is then my the time that I spent in the Czech Republic doing camps over there. Um, I mean, you get over to Europe, especially in, in like the Eastern European countries that play the game a completely different way than we do, uh, and they train a completely different way than we do. So the, the four or five years that I spent with the Czech camps uh, and taking teams over to Europe and playing in tournaments, I learned so much through all of those coaches that I dealt with over there, uh, you know, just different different ways to approach a game as far as how to teach a player a skill. Um, and, and so it's, it's, I think you are, uh, and I, I have this quote somewhere on Twitter that I used before that like you basically as a coach, you're, you're clay, you're, you're molded by all the people that you've touched and have touched you over the years as a coach. You've learned from every coach you've ever worked with. You've learned from players that you've coached mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and you absorb all that stuff and that makes you who you are. So it's, you know, for, for me, it's, there's so many different people I can name, uh, but it, instantly those couple jump out at me. So I want to ask you one last quick hockey question, um, and then we'll end this with something kind of very different and a little fun. So I feel like there's two types of coaches. I mean, you have a coach that can take over a team, and they have their system. No matter what team they coach, no matter how much they hop around, they have that system in their mind that they, you know, believe works and that they've always been to, and they'll come in and, you know, transform that team to fit that system. Or you'll have a coach who will look at their roster and kind of build a system around the strengths that they have and the weaknesses that they have. Kind of tell us what side of the spectrum of that do you fall on? (laughs) I'm probably going to give you the most cliche answer ever, but (laughs) I I think I'm I'm somewhere down the middle. Um, I I definitely have a, uh, and any of the guys that have played for any of the DMV prospects or Hockey Night in Boston or any of those things that I do in the summer especially, I have a a very, very – specific forecheck system that I like to use um, that I've used for many, many years. Uh, with that being said, it's it's adaptable to the players that you have on the roster. Uh, so for a quick example, like when I went into Salisbury University, my first year there was, uh, you know, I think half of the roster was seniors. So I, I went into a team that was already established. I had to make adjustments to what my goals were based on those players. Now, as I went through the five years that I was with Salisbury and I was recruiting uh, for future teams, I was recruiting to match my system that I ultimately wanted to run. So I, I think at the five years that I was with um, with Salisbury, I evolved that system over the five years to meet to match those players, eventually get it to the point where it was the perfect version, quote unquote, of what I wanted from the beginning. Um, so, you know, to, to give you the most cliche in the answer in the world, I'm somewhere in, in between. Um, I definitely go into things with I have this goal in mind, but I'm not bullheaded enough or dumb enough to think that if the players, if it doesn't work for the players, that I can't change because I have to. That's that's your job as a coach. Right. You have to adapt. Yeah, ex- excellent. So, like I said, I want to end on a little something different. So, if you look at your Twitter bio, it states you're a D-list actor, correct? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, I guess I want to quickly quickly tell us how you got into that and, you know, being in productions. And then I kind of want to test your script knowledge uh, on a past comedy short that you were in. 
so jeez. So <laughs> I, I was I, when 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 you uh, when, when you sent me this earlier, kind of the overview of what we're going to talk about today, and you, and you got to the fun it was, at the end. It was like this fun little thing. I'm like, man, this is the one part that I'm most worried about. <laughs> uh, but to, to give you kind of the background, so um, my my next older brother uh, is very good friends with uh, a guy by the never name of uh, Kevin Kangas. Okay. Kevin did. Uh, he actually had a. Uh, I want to say it was like a six or eight movie deal with Lionsgate Films out in Hollywood for very, very you know low end, uh, low budget horror movies. Um, Kevin was filming one of his uh, movies over in Easton, over here on the Eastern Shore, needed a whole bunch of extras for a restaurant scene. And of course, he's like, "Well, who do I know that's from the Eastern Shore?" So he calls my brother and he goes, "How many how many people can you get to this restaurant on Tuesday morning that can you know fill this scene for me?" And you know, of course, my brother calls me. And at the time, I was working down in Easton anyway, so I start making phone calls and and putting things out to you know to see who could show up to this restaurant on on a Tuesday morning and quote unquote be in a movie. Uh, from there, every time. Kevin, over the next few years, and this is going back now, uh, 15, 17 years, something like that, uh, every time Kevin was making a new movie to fulfill his contract with Lionsgate and he needed bodies, it was like, oh, Ben will do it. Ben loves this stuff, which I I, I do. And that's what – it was like just like hockey. Like once you get into it, the, the bug kind of bites you and you get and addicted you to it. you want to keep going and keep growing in it. Exactly. So I had the opportunity um, – I had some downtime one year between hockey jobs and uh, – got an opportunity on the HBO TV show Veep. Oh, uh, cool. And that's where, uh, that's where the bug kind of rebit me again. And I, like, I really fell deep in love with it. I, I made so many good friends on set at Veep. I ended up working, uh, it was season two that I got, I got in one time, uh, season three, I was a regular. Uh, and then we worked a couple of episodes, I think five or six episodes in season four. And that's when they moved production from Columbia, Maryland, back out to Hollywood. Uh, and then from there I've done house of cards. I've done, a couple feature films, all small roles, nothing you know major. I'm, and that's why I say D-list. I'm not famous right. by any stretch of the imagination, well, but <laughs> exactly. So that's what kind of brings me to this little. I want to, like I said, I wanted to challenge your script memory. Where I mentioned the comedy short you were in, where you were the main guy in when telemarketers strike. If you right. recall that one, and like I said, I we did. have the script from one of the phone calls to you. So I guess what'll happen is I'll play the telemarketer, and you try to remember your lines. And if not, I guess you just go ahead and role play, and then, well, like I said, we'll finish this interview off on a, a kind of a crazy, <laughs> different non-hockey note. So <laughs> if you're I, up I, for I'll it, be, I'll be honest with you in advance. I'm probably going to be way off, but let's let's go for All it. All right, let's go for <laughs> it. So I'll give start here. So hello. This is Patrick calling on behalf of the Penis Enlargement Association of America. Would you like to try out a free trial? The shipment is free, and if you don't like it, we offer a 30-day money-back guarantee. Uh, no, I, I, no I, I think you have the wrong number. <laughs> so you're not interested in a free trial then? No, I'm, I'm not interested. I, I'm sorry. I think you have the wrong number. Okay. Sorry about that. You have a nice day. And actually, you pretty much kind of nailed those couple few lines. <laughs> and then I was going to ask oh, you well. again, so right at the end there, uh, the, 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 the fourth one. So your phone starts ringing, and it's your wife. And before you e or before she even gets to say a word, then you go again. So do you remember that one? Because that was probably the longest one of uh, the few. I, I have some of it. So it's, uh, it's hello? Look, I, I'm, I'm not interested in your penis enlargement pills or some fantasy vacation or whatever it is. I don't have time for this. Just, just stop calling me. 
<laughs> Love it. Perfect. So, yeah, so verbatim it goes, okay, listen, I'm not interested in a survey or getting scammed or penis enlargement appointments. Can you uh, please just leave me is. alone? But that's solid because, <laughs> like I said, that one, I believe, was from, what, 2017, so a couple years back. Yeah, um, it, yeah. I'm surprised as much of it came back to me as it did, <laughs> to be honest with you. It's like I said, just kind of kicks in. You get that uh, script memory back. But we want to end it on that. Coach, we really appreciate you coming on. It was an awesome interview. And um, as the season gets going and gets started here in the DMV, we'll definitely have you on a couple more times because I feel like there's a lot more we can talk about. But for now, uh, we'll leave it at that. And like I, like I said, again, we, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm glad we finally were able to work it out for our schedules. It's uh, It's been a great experience for me, and I, I look forward to uh, future opportunities. Excellent. Sounds good. We will uh, talk to you soon, Ben. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks again to Coach Hammock for hopping on. We definitely look forward to having him on. Uh, once the season gets started and get some more knowledge and insight out of him, definitely a great conversation. So, boys, let's finish the episode with this. Uh, like we said a couple episodes ago, AB thought of a new segment, all NHL teams. Uh, the last one we did was the all NHL facial hair team, you know, beards, mustaches, that type of thing. So what's hot in the streets right now, the Internet streets, is storming Area 51. So let's do the all team that you would want to storm Area 51 with. So how do you guys want to go in order with this? You want to go like Brando, AB, me? And back around, stake it. Uh, that's fine with me. All right, Brando, kick us off. All right. I'm picking this one, and I'm pretty sure this is probably on AB's list. I'm picking Sean Avery. Okay, the bike god himself, Sean yeah. Avery. And nice. It's a good pick. I actually didn't have him on my list. Oh, really? You're a big Sean Avery guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love – dude, he's got great Instagram oh, Dude, uh, he's just protecting the streets, the bike lanes of New York, and it's fantastic. If you guys don't follow him on Instagram, you should. Dude, um, he's going to protect the shit out of a bike lane in Area 51. Oh, that yeah. is goddamn oh, sure. Oh, yeah. And plus, I picked – so I didn't understand this, like – what what kind of players I'm supposed to be pit on well, here? Well, we just need to pick five skaters. I don't think it's really because we said we would do <laughs> NHL players, we do movie characters, and it's kind of tough to tell what position a movie dude is in. Right. So I picked I picked a good mixture of tough guys that help me get uh, to the gate, and right. then some guys that will just be weird with the aliens if there there's go. aliens. So there. the first one was Sean Avery. Ab, what's your first pick? All right, I'm a I'm gonna get my captain on the board first. Uh, defensive stud. He will lead me to the Stanley Cup in the middle of the Area 51, Scott Stevens. Okay, there it is, Scott Stevens. So I'll start. I'll actually, I get two now. So I will nominate this guy as my captain, Donald Brashear. Whoa. Oh. So I'll start with Donald Brashear. And then my second pick will be maybe the best Russian hockey player of all time, if you've seen the highlights, of Vladimir Putin. <laughs> so I'll start with <laughs> Donald hey, Brashear hey. and Vladimir Putin. So back to you, A.B., what a pick with Vladimir Putin, man. I mean, that guy scores like eight or nine Ten goals, goals a game. Ten goals a game. It's a bananas. It's, he just <laughs> likes the lamp. Dude, yeah, and he's going to be he's gonna come in and just fucking show up them aliens in Area 51. Oh, yeah, whatever easy. the fuck is in there, dude. Yeah. All right, so AB, your second pick. All right. I got another. I'm just going all, like, huge guys here. He's classic from the Mighty Ducks, Dean Portman. Dean Portman. Bash Pro. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah, man, that's my guy. He's going to come in with that bandana that he wears, and he's just going to roll through everyone. All right, uh, Brando, let's go with you. All right, I'm going goalie. No, he, keep, let's go no. players first, and then uh, we'll do goalies at the end. Oh, man. All right, um, I'm going to go with Zdeno Chara. Okay. Um, oh, big Z. Great yeah. pick. One, I just thought aliens might think he's an alien, and honestly, I think he might be an alien. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, he is fucking huge, too. Yeah. It's a crazy dude. So you get another pick now. Oh, We're snaking it. Another pick. All right. Um, 
I'm going to go with Chris Letang because, honestly, if there are aliens there, they can take them. They <laughs> 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 can take them. Nice. Take them. <laughs> I, I like that. Yeah, it, you got to think of it in a horror movie aspect where there's always one guy that gets killed or yeah. left behind. If it's yeah, Chris It's got to be him. It's got to be him. I'm then cool whatever. with that. <laughs> All right, A.B., off to you then. He's going shorthanded with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Um, well, since I got one bachelor, I got to go to the other. Fulton Reed, baby. Fulton Reed. Got to complete it. Got to complete it. All right. Uh, so, Abe's got the two bachelors. So far, I've got Brashear and Putin, so I'll make my next two picks. I'll start with Doug Glatt. Um, uh, yeah. He's, he's too dumb, though, man. I was thinking about Doug Glatt. <laughs> so, when they're he's doing their brainwave bullshit and trying to read your mind and everything, not going to happen because he's got some eggs up there. Uh, yeah, so but, like... He might be. He might become like best friends with them because he's like too nice, but like That's still true. like he was a, he was a bit of a sweetheart. <laughs> so Doug Glatt, then I'll go Jeff Hansen of the Hansen Brothers, foiled up, uh, foiled up around the knuckles so the aliens can't break through that. So there's oh, my yeah. uh, third and fourth. So A B off to your fourth. So uh, my fourth, I got. Man, there I have I have so many on my list right now. I'm gonna have a hell of I've, I'm gonna have a lot of honorable mentions on here. But I'm going to go with Ross the Boss Ray. Ross the Boss Ray. <laughs> there you go. Yep. I got to go Ross Ray. All right. Because, I mean, he's, he's got that mean streak to him. Not like Doug Glass too nice. Ross the Boss Ray, he's mean, man. Yeah, he's he was a bad boy. He was that heavy hitter, son. He don't give a damn. <laughs> All he right. Damn. Brando, your fourth and fifth picks, your last two for skaters. All right. For the last two, I'm also going big mean. I'm going Matt Cook. Matt that Cook? dude was an absolute goon. Okay. I need him. I need him helping me out. Matt Cook. And I also yeah, got that guy was fucking insane. That is for sure. Yeah, terrible guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going with Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson, hell yeah, everybody's favorite bad boy. Yep. You know what I mean? All right. Yeah. So AB, your last uh, skater pick. All right, I got to go with another defenseman because I'm I'm playing Dean Portman and Fulton Reed on uh on Ford and Ross the Boss Ray, honestly. Okay. But uh, I'm going to go with uh, another leader here. He'll be the assistant captain with Chris Pronger. That guy's mean. Mm, yeah. There you go. Yeah, he was. He got into a little bit of some issues. Uh, my last skater is going to be none other than Capital Legend Chris Simon. Oh, Chris great Simon. One. Some good cross checks in the back yep. there, maybe a couple high sticks. So my five skaters, like I said, were Donald Brashear, Vladimir Putin, uh, Chris Simon, Doug Glatt, and Jeff Hansen from the Hansen Bros. What do you have, A.B.? That's- I have Scott Stevens uh, as my captain, Chris Pronger as my assistant. I've got the the Bass Brothers with Dean Foreman and Fulton Reed, and then Ross the Boss Ray, mm-hmm. man. And then Brando. I had Sean Avery, Matt Cook, Tom Wilson, Zdeno Chara, and Chris Letang. All right, so we'll just let's start with AB. AB, you can go ahead and pick your goalie first, and then we'll go Brando, and then myself. Dude, uh, I'm going to go with the most insane goalie. Uh, and he's also a stud and uh, a Hall of Famer, Patrick Waugh. Oh, a lot of fights. Yeah. A lot of fights oh, yeah. as a goalie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably uh, the most. Yeah, oh, yeah, easily, easily. Uh, Brando? Um, I'm going, since uh, obviously did this list way different than you guys, I'm going Ilya Briskalov. Mm. Because oh, yeah, y'all remember the so, Road to the Winter Classic 2012? Yeah. If, oh, yeah. If we're talking we, about space and the yeah, universe. That's true. I think the that guy. So big. Yeah. God, that guy would that love was to see aliens. You, bro. Yeah. <laughs> he knows. He's yeah. got the knowledge. He knows yeah. what to do. And then if we get in confrontation, why you have to be mad? Yeah. It's, that guy's it's just a welcome huge, to Earth. Yeah, he's a huge alien <laughs> guy. We're so, so small. Damn. So, we're so, so big. Brando, I think, plays it smart because he's got beef in the middle. 
He's got the space guy up front, and he's got the guy we just want to get the hell rid of in the back. <laughs> he's got a weak link. He's got the brains, and he's got the meat in the middle. Uh, so I guess that'll leave me. I'll go with Ron Hextall uh, as my goalie. Nice. That's a good pick. That's a good pick. Then, uh, you could hack at him. Yeah, for sure. So we'll do the same thing uh, tomorrow as we did the last time we did this segment. We'll put the pictures together. We'll get it up on Twitter for some, some fan voting. But, boys, like we said, it is the dog days of summer. I think that just about does it. The news is slow. Um, as always, follow us at Chirpin DMV, at Chirpin DMV, excuse me, uh, Instagram, Yo, Twitter. What's up? Do you get any honorable mentions on here? Because I have a shit oh, ton that yeah, I go well, through. I don't have a ton because, well, I had Dean Portman, Fulton Reed, and then what was the third batch, bro? Kenny Wu. Uh, I also had Ty Domi. Oh. Um, and that's really about it. Uh, I had, and Tom Wilson I had as Ty well. Domi. I had, like, Cam Neely, Wendell oh, Clark, Neely, Dale yeah. Hunter. Dale Hunter, I'm, yeah. Oh, I always put Dale Hunter Maybe on my list. Maybe some Dino Cicerelli in there. <laughs> I mean, Bobby Clark, Marty McSorley, man. I was going through Oh, McSorley, I almost put him on my list too, man. Just big dude, bruisers. Dude, from like the 80s and 90s. Yeah. I'm just I was like, trying dude. to think, too, if there was any bad boy hitters on the Mystery Alaska team, but not that I uh, really remember. But, yeah, um, I can't remember yeah, so any. Pretty either. much all my modern mentions I kind of figured would get taken because um, they were all pretty good names. But like oh, I, I said – I had Matt Barnaby on here, too. <laughs> that guy's fucking <laughs> That'll do it. So, yeah, like you said, guys, follow us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, um, the website, www.chirpindmv.com. We've been a little bit lagnant uh, on the summer on that, uh, kind of taking a backseat on that, trying to get the podcast up and running. Then we'll hit that hard when hockey season comes around. But with that being said, we'll see you guys next week. I guess A.B. and Brando get us out of here. See you later, boys. All right, All right boys. Yep, yeah, I got a roller hockey game tomorrow, so I'm about to put up some goals. I'll Ooh, see you guys later, ahead, baby. All right.